Okay, welcome back to Bible Braced. This is lesson 24 of our Gospel of John Bible study. If you are not caught up to us, go ahead and start with Intro to Bible Study. You'll find the link in our show notes, and you can listen to lessons 1 through 23, and that will catch you up to where we're at. For those that are following along, we are still in the beginning chapters of John. We're in John 4 now. And John the Baptist has had a recent communication regarding Jesus and his sovereignty, which has been really cool, his supremacy. And then um, we see Jesus is having quite a following wherever he is off the Jordan baptizing, not him, but his disciples. And then Jesus, he, he knows, it says, it doesn't say he hears, which is also interesting. It just says that Jesus knows that it's had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. What's really cool about this is... If you think about the fact that the religious leaders sent people to John the Baptist to question him because, you know, why are you baptizing? It's almost like Jesus is knowing, you know, obviously he knows everything that's happening. He is omniscient and he is God, so (laughs) nothing's hidden from him. But it's cool to think about like the religious leaders probably would send somebody out to question Jesus just like they did with John the Baptist. And Jesus isn't isn't even giving them the chance. Like he knows that they're hearing about his ministry. And it's like he just takes off out of there and heads north, further north into Galilee before they even have a chance to send somebody to question him. And I kind of love that. And then he goes intentionally through Samaria, which, you know, is not considered a clean, happy, solid biblically or solid according to the law place. And so Jesus is kind of acting very, very different from how the religious leaders would want him to act. And that's neat too. And, you know, that's because he's the true God and he decides what's appropriate, (laughs) not a bunch of guys or girls for that matter. So verse four, it says it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. And we looked this word up last time. It was like a duty. It was something he felt compelled to do. Verse five says, now he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the piece of land that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, because he had become tired from the journey, simply sat down at the well. It was about the sixth hour. So again, he had become tired from the journey. Jesus is a human, right? He's fully God and fully man. And he had to take a rest. And I think that's encouraging. You know, we sometimes forget that Jesus was tempted in all ways such as we are yet without sin. You know, he had fatigue. He had times where he was hungry. We covered his temptation and his 40 days of fasting in an earlier chapter. And, you know, Jesus is experiencing the limitations of a human body as he is on earth. And so that is something to keep in mind. So the sixth hour in the Bible, let's just look that up real quick. That would be about noontime. Okay, so about noon, Jesus is tired. He's resting by a well in the middle of the day. And verse seven says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me water to drink. And then verse eight says, for his disciples had gone away into the town so that they could buy food. So Jesus and his disciples are traveling. They come to Sychar. It's about noon. It's, I'm sure, very hot. This is a rugged area from what we can see from our map topography. They're tired. He sits down at this well and it's about noon. So this woman comes out. Apparently Jesus is by himself out here because his disciples have gone into town to get him food. And here comes a woman by herself to draw water. And Jesus 
doesn't just sit there quietly like a good Jew and uh, not engage with this evil woman, right? He asks her for some water. And some interesting thing about this is, first of all, he's engaging with this woman and she's surprised by that because she even says, you know, how do you being a Jew ask from me water to drink since I'm a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans in verse nine. So she's very surprised by this. Culturally, it would have been taboo. But also I think that Jesus here is giving her an opportunity to engage with him in conversation in like a non-threatening way. I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but when he says, you know, hey, could you give me some water? Like, could you help me? She has a, a canister that she's brought with her to draw water with or to take water back home with. And when you're the one who is serving somebody else, it just kind of puts you in a different role, right? You are an opportunity to to reach out and help somebody. There can just be a difference in your communication and your connection than if Jesus was offering her something. You know, maybe she would have looked on that more suspiciously. And he actually is offering her something. He's offering her the opportunity to know and worship the true Savior, the true God, the true Messiah. But he starts off by engaging with her in a way that's very non-threatening, you know? It's just interesting to me the way that he intentionally reaches out to her and opens a door of communication that may have otherwise remained shut. And so the Miss Samaritan woman is like surprised and she's like, um, how can you ask me to get you water? Like, you know, we're, we're like dogs compared to you, right? This is how Jews thought of Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her in verse 10, if you had known the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me water to drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. That's a very interesting response. Jesus doesn't respond regarding the cultural situation she references. He doesn't give his reasons for asking her for water. In fact, he doesn't get any water from her, and I'm sure he was thirsty, right? So there's an opportunity for Jesus to put aside his own physical needs and, and cravings to engage with someone in a much more important way, to engage with her spiritually, to bring about the restoration of her soul. And he doesn't even, it's like that was just an opener, right? He doesn't even reference that again. He uses it as a building block to build on a spiritual comparison here, a living water. And he also, he doesn't get distracted by what she brings up. It could just be the way I'm reading this text, but it does seem to me like she's a little bit defensive. And no matter what Jesus is saying, she always is kind of like slightly different response where she's kind of trying to distract from the real heart of the motive a little bit. And maybe that's the case. Maybe she just is one of those people that like always has a question instead of an answer. You know what I mean? Because like instead of maybe she's getting him water right here and is asking how how come you're asking me for this while she's getting him water that could very well be. But it seems like she's just kind of like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You know, she's just kind of responsive like that. And so Jesus doesn't even reference the cultural situation. He doesn't reference, you know, well, I'm really thirsty <laughs> and I don't have a bucket, you know, or whatever. He doesn't get into any of that. He goes right into the heart of the matter. If you had known the gift of God and who it is who's speaking to you and asking for water, essentially, you would ask him and he would give you living water. And so he's again saying, you would ask and he would give it. Like you wouldn't have to pay for it. You wouldn't have to beg him. Like he would give you this living water. And the woman says to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. From where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock. And so this is kind of a fail-safe 
question to ask somebody like, oh, you don't think you're better than Jacob, do you? You don't think you're better than Abraham. You don't think you're better than et cetera, et cetera. You know, this is a very Jewish question. It seems like when we see it in scripture and obviously Jesus is better than them. He is God. (laughs) But for the common Jew, of course, this would be a no because you're not greater than the patriarchs, you know, who knew God and walked with God and had covenant with God. And so this is a shared ancestor also for a Samaritan. And so, you know, she's saying then our father, Jacob, which is kind of interesting. And she's kind of referencing, maybe she's just willfully misunderstanding. Maybe she just really didn't understand. But here she's referencing like living water as being forever water as being eternal water. And she's acting as if it's physical water, right? Yeah. So it's interesting to see here the way that they're kind of going back and forth. And so Jesus, again, doesn't get distracted on the concept of whether or not he's greater than Jacob. Like he totally is, and he could totally say that, but he doesn't get distracted from the the topic here. He doesn't respond to that. He responds to what's important. And he says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of this water, which I will give to him, will never be thirsty for eternity. But the water which I will give to him will become in him a well of water, springing up to eternal life. So again, he's talking about the spirit, right? He's talking about life-giving, eternal life-giving water, a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or come here to draw water. And maybe, again, I'm reading into this, but it does seem like she's referencing physical water again. She's like, oh, eternal life, because you always have this water inside you. It's just never-ending water. That sounds great. I won't have to come out here and, and draw water. And then again, Jesus doesn't get distracted on getting into the details regarding what he means here. He gets right to the heart of the issue. He says, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I do not have a husband. And Jesus says to her, you've said rightly, I do not have a husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truthfully. So Jesus knows exactly what's going on with her. He knows exactly what her life has been. And I'm sure, I mean, in this in our culture, which our culture is crazy, in our culture, this would be unheard of. Five husbands and now you're living with somebody like we would say, even in a post-Christian world, that this is a little bit ridiculous behavior, right? But especially in this culture, especially for a woman to have had this many spouses, it would have been very unusual. And the woman says to him, sir, I see that you are a prophet. And then she immediately changes the subject, right? Like, and again, this could be genuine desire for knowledge regarding this question she's always wondered about spiritually, but it feels like she's still in defense mode. It feels like she's not ready to talk about her life and really to talk about why she's had so many husbands and why she's now living with someone. What is it in her heart of hearts that is pushing her to be taken care of, to be protected, to be loved, to have identity in these relationships, these earthly relationships. We don't know her story. We don't understand the ins and outs of the culture she grew up in, the village she grew up in, how much money she had, et cetera. We don't know any of that. But probably this kind of need, this kind of desire that we see here is not uncommon for those of us that are studying this, we can resonate with that as women, especially that feeling that wanting to belong, you know, that wanting to have someone. And this man is with her now. Why is he not a husband number six? You know, maybe he wasn't willing to marry her. 
Maybe she's fallen far enough to the point where she now lives with a man, even though that's totally taboo because she just needs someone to take care of her or she needs that feeling of belonging or whatever. She just seems like someone who is very, you know, very sick at heart and isn't finding what she's seeking in these relationships. And here we see her two coming at noon to the well. That's a very unusual time period from what we understand of that culture to be drawing water. And she was by herself. There's no one else out there where that would be something women did together a lot of times as like a community thing. So apparently she's enough of a pariah in her village where she comes by herself to the well. And that, again, would make you feel heartsick, you know? If if she didn't care what they thought, she probably would come in the cool of the day when they came. But the fact that she's there in the heat of the day by herself shows that, you know, there's some, I think there's a big void in this lady's life. And so she is not responding again to the living water. She's she's asking a theological question. <laughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, verse 20. And you people say, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where it is necessary to worship. Maybe she really wanted to know what Jesus thought about this. Maybe she was just bringing up a controversial topic so they could argue and get distracted from her heart. <laughs> Jesus says to her, Believe me, woman, that an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For indeed, the Father seeks such people to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and the ones who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, the one called Christ. Whenever that one comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And then Jesus looks at her, I'm assuming, as he says this, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I mean, mind blown. (laughs) Jesus, Jesus is telling this woman, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. The one you're talking about is here right now and offering you all the things we've just talked about. I'm offering all these things to you. Guys, this is crazy. I mean, again, Jesus is engaging with the people at the temple. When he cleans the temple, right, he cleanses it. We know he's doing signs and wonders in Jerusalem. He's not trusting himself to the way the people think of him there because he knows what's in the heart of man. And he's leading the ministry that's baptizing in the region of the Jordan. And then he knows the religious leaders are hearing about his following and he leaves, before they can send anybody, before they can come themselves. You know, we assume these things, but that would be the natural progression. And then he goes to Samaria, up in this mountainous region, to this little town in a in a pagan area, to talk to this wretched, sinful woman in the middle of the day as she draws water from the well. This woman who's had five husbands and is living with a man now, who is used up from a human perspective. And Jesus not only engages with her and talks to her, but he tells her who he is. Like, do you guys realize this is crazy? Like, look at the heart of Jesus. Look at his love for this woman. Like, I am just emotional just contemplating this. Like, 
look at the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, to reach down and to touch this poor, used up, bedraggled woman who couldn't even fellowship with her fellow Samaritans from what we could see. I just, oh, doesn't that just touch your heart to see the love of Jesus, to see his love and mercy and grace and compassion. And I wish we had time to get into her response and what all happens, but we'll have to cover that next week. But you guys, saturate yourself in the goodness of Jesus today. Soak in his love for you. Soak in his mercy, his grace. He has compassion on us. He remembers that we are dust. And don't let that be a reason to continue in sin, right? Like that's that's not why we sin so that grace can abound. <laughs> we we need to repent. We need to true up to this Jesus that saved us. We need to to respond in thankfulness and in humility and repentance and in joy and thankfulness for what he's done and just wow. Just sit at the feet of Jesus today. Man, oh, what a place to close, but I love you ladies and Oh, I hope that this just warms your heart and wets your eyes <laughs> and that you're able to just worship God today. Love you guys.